As we continue in our series on the church, I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and today we're going to be in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Acts is located, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're in a physical Bible, open to the very beginning to the table of contents. Uh, there you're going to find that the Bible's broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the book that we're in today, the book of Acts, is the fifth book of the New Testament. So locate the New Testament. Five books in, books in are, is the book of Acts. Go to that page number and then flip through till you get to chapter 19. Now, if you're in an app, simply pull down the list of the books of the Bible, and there you'll find that Acts is about two-thirds of the way down that list. So Acts chapter 19. Now, when I was a young man, as I was uh, in high school and I took interest in girls, I recognized that there were things that I began to change about myself. So, for example, I wanted to go get a job because I wanted to have money to be able to pay for a date with a girl or, or whatever, buy her a present for Valentine's Day. I'll be honest. I began to shower more often too. I mean, if you are a parent of a boy or uh, know, have a boy who has been through the uh, you know, early prepubescent, pubescent and postpubescent stages of life, you know that boys aren't exactly hygiene creatures in, in their young age and suddenly they become more conscious of their hygiene as they get older and they take interest in the opposite sex. You know, I would take more showers. I began wearing deodorant and cologne more often. I would never miss it. Um, I would clean my car and make sure that my car looked good and smelled good. As well, as good as it could being the type of car that it was. But why did my uh, behaviors and, and my practices and even kind of my values, why did those change? Why all of a sudden would I make all of these drastic changes in my life? It's because what affections and desires I had were shifting and changing. You see, my affection for being lazy and not taking a shower was overridden by my affection for girls, my desire to have a girlfriend. And so I would take a shower. Uh, my time suddenly changed. The way I used my time changed because I didn't want to just sit around all day and be lazy. I wanted to take a girl on a date, which meant I had to have money, which meant I had to have a job. And so suddenly, because my affections, because my desires had changed, I suddenly changed my behavior. I changed aspects of my life so that I could pursue those desires, those affections. And I think we're going to find in today's uh, account from the early church here in Luke 19 that we see a shifting, a changing of the lives of the people that Paul encounters because their affections, their desires change. So take your Bibles and look with me now at chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 11. Verse 11. So Paul is in Ephesus, and he's doing a lot of things in Ephesus in that country. And look at what happens in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin 
were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. You see, Paul is in Ephesus, which uh, again, as we've mentioned in uh, several recent messages that we've delivered on Sunday mornings, we have found that Paul is writing letters to these churches that he has established in these cities. So just like with Thessalonica and other cities like that, Paul later in the New Testament is going to write a letter to this church in Ephesus called the book of Ephesians in our, in our Bible, in the New Testament. So Paul is in Ephesus and he is performing miracles, massive miracles. People are being healed. They're being freed from demonic possession. Their lives are being transformed. It's so crazy and so miraculous that people are snagging handkerchiefs and aprons, pieces of cloth, anything they can grab that has touched Paul and they're taking them two sick people and touching them with this cloth and they're being healed. Now, let me be very clear. This is not like what we see on like TVN, the, the uh, you know, Christian broadcasting network that is on the television. These people, Paul is not selling these handkerchiefs for blessings or miracles. People are grabbing them to, to uh, heal people in their lives. You know, the difference is, is that these tele-evangelists, these false teachers, they go around selling pieces of cloth to put money in their pockets. They're using these types of projects to make money, lots of money. And they're not actually doing anything. These cloths don't lead to any miracles or anything like that, where Paul isn't acting at all. These people are pulling things away from Paul in order to take them home to their sick relatives or friends. The difference is, is that God is revealing himself through simple miracles. Nobody's getting personal gain out of this. So miracles are happening. And, and let me just chase this rabbit for just a moment. I would encourage you, we as Baptists have a tendency to dismiss miracles. We think they were great in the, in the New Testament and oh, how wonderful that that happened, but they don't happen today. That's what we tell ourselves. But, but, but let me tell you, miracles still happen. The world is still full of God's amazing, miraculous work. They exist, they happen, they're real. But I would encourage you to always test when you hear about a miracle or you think you've seen a miracle. Always test that and make sure that there's not a false teacher or demonic activity behind that because that is a possible situation, scenario. But we can't rule them out, but we also cannot blindly accept them without testing them against the truth of Scripture. So, Paul is in the city of Ephesus. He's performing miracles like crazy. People are, um, are their lives are being changed and, and wild things are taking place. Now look at what happens next in verse 13. So pick up with me in verse 13. It says this, And God was, oh, sorry, verse 13, Then some of the itinerant uh, Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you to the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Verse 14, Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva, or Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, 
Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit, uh, who was in the evil, stop, verse 16, let me start again. Verse 16, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So, so what's happening here? These men, these sons of Skeva or Skeva, are, are basically Jewish sorcerers. Their father claims to be a high priest. We don't have record of this man in, in historical records, but he, he was either some kind of priest in a local uh, Jewish synagogue or setting, or um, he was claiming to be some kind of high priest. And they're going in, these seven sons of this man are going in and they're performing exorcisms all over the place. Now, uh, there's a historical link to all of this, but this was not a common Jewish practice. This was usually the work of Jewish mystics or pagan sorcerers who had Jewish backgrounds or used Jewish incantations to make this happen. And so they're, they're using incantations here in this account. They're, they're invoking the name of Jesus in an incantation to cast a demon out of a man. But they're trying to do some kind of miracle like what Paul was doing. They're trying to use the name of Jesus the same way that Paul uses the name of Jesus. But the Bible is clear that miracles... And, and uh, miracles and healing happen at the, as the result of faith, not because we invoke some name. Now, don't get me wrong. There's power in the name of Jesus, but that power comes from our belief, from our faith. It doesn't come from the, the five letters of the word Jesus. The faith is what provides the power. There's power there, but it's through God, not through a simple name. So this demon recognizes uh, the power of Jesus, and he even recognizes Paul and the power that Jesus uses through Paul, and then mocks these guys, and because they are without faith, they have no power, and he beats them out up and, and sends them out into the street naked with no clothes on. And so, basically what's happening here is these men are humiliated. But at the same time, the name of Jesus is elevated. You see, this demon, and we see this multiple times throughout the ministry of Jesus and the apostles, where a demon is being cast out or is being approached by Jesus, and they proclaim him to be the Son of God. They lift him up. They recognize his worship. And this demon does the same. This demon recognizes the power of Jesus as the Son of God, and he recognizes Paul as a follower of Jesus. Therefore, Paul has power because of his faith in Jesus. You see, these miracles and the, this event with these sons of Sceva, sons of Sceva, it leads to something. So pick up with me again in verse 17. Verse 17. It says this, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. So they're talking about this incident with this demon-possessed man and what he has said about the power of Jesus. 
So continue with me, second half of verse 17. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Verse 18, also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. You see, these miracles have happened. Paul has been healing people. And now these sons of Sceva have tried to cast out a demon and the demon humiliates them, but lifts up the name of Jesus. And the people recognize the power of Jesus because of what all's going on at that moment. You see, this miracle, the miracles that Paul uh, is doing, and what happens with the sons of Sceva leads to faith. People become followers of Jesus, and we see some crazy things happen as a result, which leads me to today's big idea. Uh, if you've ever listened to one of my messages, you know that I usually give one simple statement that summarizes the main point of that week's message. And today's big idea is this. Faith leads to life change. Always. Faith leads to life change. You see, Jesus' name is lifted because a demon confesses him. God will always use everything to lift up his name and lead people to his life-changing hope. As a result, people believe in Jesus and their lives are transformed. They're changed. In this passage that we just read, verses 17 through 19, it says that they come and they confess. They confess their sins and their practices and all the things that they were doing that were against God, against Jesus. They come and they bring, many of them were magicians and sorcerers, and they bring these, these magic books, these books full of spells and incantations and instructions on doing magic things. They bring these books and they burn them. And according to the record here in Acts chapter 19, the value of all these books that they burned could have been upwards of $6 million. And so they confess their sins. They get rid of all of the things that God doesn't want them to have in their lives. And then look at the last verse there, verse 20. It says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You see, the church grew because of what was taking place. People believed in Jesus and they were willing to sacrificially allow Jesus to change their lives. Faith leads to life change. It always does. But it doesn't end there. You see, the life change that Jesus calls us to is a continual process. It never ends. As long as we're living, Jesus is always changing our lives. He's always transforming us. He's always moving us into a new direction. Go back to my opening illustration. As a, as a young teenager, I wanted my life to change because my affections had shifted, had, had gone to something else. Instead of 
looking out for myself and my laziness and whatever, I was suddenly interested in girls and popularity. And in order to do that, I had to make changes. And I was willing to make those changes because my affections and desires had changed. When you desire the Lord, your affection for Him, your desire for Him will cause change in your life. It will change you from the inside out. And some of you may know, some of you may have been feeling some of the changes that Jesus is urging you to make or is trying to create the change within you. Maybe you're watching right now, maybe you're listening right now, and maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never come to believe in Him. Maybe you don't have faith in Him, but maybe uh, over time or right now you feel an urging. You feel the beginnings of a, an affection or a desire to follow Jesus. Or maybe even you've just got a new curiosity about who Jesus is. And maybe you've got questions. Maybe you want to know what the next steps are. And if that's you, I want you to right now click on that virtual connect card. The link is in the post of this video. Click that virtual connect card. It'll take you to our website, uh, to the contact us page. Fill that out and I would love to reach out to you as soon as possible and answer any questions that you might have about Jesus, about following Him, about what this life change looks like, about what that statement right there is. That Jesus wants you to experience the life-changing hope that can only be found in Him. So if that's you, reach out to us. Go to our website to the Contact Us page and let us know. We would love to answer any questions that you may have about that. And so, maybe you know or you're feeling the, the urge that Jesus is calling in your life to change something or, or allow Him to change something in your life. Maybe you're a believer and it's some kind of change, but as you look at it, you're scared because it requires some kind of sacrifice. But please listen, if your desire, if your affection is for Jesus, if you have faith, if you believe in Jesus, then that life change is a priority. It's your call from Jesus. Yes, you may be asked to sacrifice financially. Maybe you're being asked to sacrifice your pride or your reputation with those that you want to like you, uh, that you, you want to be around. Maybe uh, it's going to cause you to sacrifice elements of relationships that you have in your life. Maybe it would change your lifestyle, this change that Jesus is urging you to make. Whatever it may be, understand that true faith in Jesus leads to life change. It does. And if your affection and desire is for Jesus, that's what we should pursue. That's what we should desire. You see, whatever the risk, it is worth it. It's so worth the life change that Jesus wants to bring. So take the risk. Dive in. Allow Jesus to change you. 
You may have been a believer all of your life or almost all of your life. And now suddenly out of nowhere, Jesus is asking you or urging you to change some aspect of your life. Maybe you have a viewpoint or an opinion or a relationship or, or something financially that Jesus is calling you to change or do something different with. But it's risky. It's always worth the risk with Jesus because Jesus will be with you throughout the change. And believe me when I say Jesus has a reason for the change. Jesus always has a purpose. He's always got some life-changing goal that he is going to do in you and probably in others because of your life change. So whatever the risk, whatever the sacrifice, take the risk. It will be worth it. After all, who are we called to fear more? Who are we supposed to value more and, and, and put as the number one priority? God, not ourselves, not others, not relationships or money or a reputation. None of that matters in comparison to God. And so here's the question. What change is Jesus wanting you to make or allow him to make in you? What is it that he's trying to change or bring you to change? Let's take a moment and let's ask the Lord what life change he's guiding us to, he's urging us to, he's leading us toward. And then let's also ask him for the courage and the strength to go into that life change and to be willing to make the changes that he's wanting us to make for him. Just, as like, just like these believers here who are willing to sacrifice millions of dollars for Jesus. Let's also be willing to take whatever steps Jesus is calling us to make. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much. We thank you that you love us, that you uh, watch over us. We thank you for how amazing you are in our lives and for the life change that you bring. Lord, we pray today that you would help us out of our affection and our desire and our faith in you Help us to make the change or allow you to make the change within us that you're leading us toward. Lord, when you direct us to change, I pray that you would help us to see it, to accept it, and to have the strength and the courage to move through it. Help us to allow you, through your Holy Spirit, to change our lives for you. God, we thank you so much. We thank you that Jesus came to this earth. He died on a cross to save us from our sins. And he rose from the grave on the third day in victory over sin and death. Lord, he gave all for us. Let us give all for him. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name.